Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello and welcome to The Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson and with me as always, Chris Boroff. I don't like them apples. <laughs> and I am also joined by my Southie uh, comrade from elementary school, Zach Powers. Russell, this is your fault. Ah! <laughs> 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 uh, uh, uh. On the movie trap, uh, one person picks a theme and each of us three hosts picks a movie based on that theme. Uh, Each host starts out with 10 points to allocate at the end of the round that we will vote on once we've watched all three movies. We also have some bonus points that we issue out. There are three bonus points per host that could be issued out and distributed and given to each one of us for any reason we see fit. Uh, once we've watched all three movies, we use the points we have allocated and vote on which one was the best. And whoever, whichever one of us wins that vote, picks the next theme. Previously on the movie trap, we wrapped up Zach Power's theme of better halves. Significant others chose our films and we were their victims. Uh, to which, uh, my wife, Sarah, uh, made me look good again and chose uh, 9 to 5, which uh, won the vote, which means this week's theme was chosen by me and means this movie was chosen by me. This week, this theme is ubiquitous or well-known movies that everybody has seen, but you have not. And in that spirit, the movie I chose was 1997's Good Will Hunting. Um, before I throw it to Zach, uh, is there anything else we need to cover? Uh, briefly, um, this is the start of the new round, which means each of us has 10 points and three points to give away. Um, so, uh, if the, the yep, spirit, we're all zero yeah. and Sorry, I am out for blood round. this, so if this is your first for, time. I am out for blood this round because I've lost twice in a row now. So we'll see what happens on this one. I actually tallied up how much each of us have won and lost, and it's pretty fucking close. It is not, you know, no one has been run roughshod in this in this particular game. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to count out how many points you get, Zach, because I think you're definitely the the points uh, the points monster. You you that tend to point the rack of and, and yeah. At this point, I have won thrice, and each of you won twice. But uh, I also suspect. This round, I won't win, but we can talk about that later. I have a feeling I'm not going to win with this one either. Um, So, yes, the first movie was to me. It's a new round. Everyone has 10 points and three bonus points to give out for whatever reason you want. So, with that in mind, Zach Powers, why don't you go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage? Well, good will hunting, for those of you unaware, and uh, considering this is our uh, ubiquitous film round, that might be uh, fleetingly few of you is a 1997 film directed by Gus Van Sant. Uh, it stars Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Minnie Driver, Stellan Skarsgård, Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, and was written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Uh, it was kind of an awards darling that particular year. It was up for Best Picture, which it lost to Titanic, um, but did win. And it was also up for best original song for uh, Elliot Smith's Miss Misery, which had also lost to Titanic, but won best screenplay and best supporting actor in Robin Williams. Uh, Chris, you uh, were going to say something? I was just going to say it has two points on this. One was that it was EP'd both by uh, Harvey Weinstein and uh, Kevin Smith. So that would kind of explain, I think, most of the creative a story push on this. That. Yeah. There's a story behind sure. that. And I, I understand the Kevin Smith thing in particular, Ben Affleck, uh, his earlier roles than this were mostly in Kevin Smith films. So I think that, uh, you know, that's 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 the through line there. All um, in all, very young Matt Damon, very young Ben Affleck. They're, they're right at the burgeoning right. beginning of their career, I think. This yeah, was think their it, real it, explosion in their career. Goodwill Hunting is a film about a an orphan who lives in South Boston 
Uh, he is extraordinarily brilliant, but also troubled by a lifetime of abandonment, neglect, and abuse. Uh, he spends most of his days frittering away his time with uh, his sort of low-class friends, getting drunk, getting into fights, um, while he works nights uh, cleaning up at MIT. One night, um, a professor, Stellan Skarsgård, puts a extraordinarily difficult mathematical proof on a chalkboard, um, and he, while cleaning up, solves the proof, which is supposed to be like one in a thousand, you know, uh, one in a million people can solve this proof, even among mathematicians. Um, uh, eventually, he is found out as the person who uh, who solved the particular equation, and Stellan Skarsgård wants to use his unique brain for the betterment of mankind or what have you. Um, but... He's also in legal trouble for punching a police officer. Uh, so the conditions of the release are, uh, while Stellan Skarsgård can take him in and guide him to a fruitful career, he also needs to go to therapy. So After the, the, a string of unsuccessful... Yeah, the, the, the take home from that is that going and dealing with the Boston police is like going to the principal's office when you're white Matt Damon and have physically assaulted a man on the street for no reason. You just have to go to college after that. That's all that happens. Correct. So, um, yeah, uh, he goes to a string of psychiatrists. None of them take. Um, simultaneously, he has uh, begun a relationship with a young woman uh, who he impressed at a bar one night. Um, uh... And uh, eventually their relationship grows more serious. At the same time, he meets a, a psychologist who can finally handle this difficult case, played by Robin Williams. Um, he and the psychiatrist uh, have a burgeoning sort of friendship and have a number of sort of uh, breakthroughs in terms of not only Matt Damon's mental health, but also Robin Williams in regards to getting over his the death of his wife uh, some years earlier um, while Matt Damon is also falling in love with uh, the young woman he met. Um, eventually he begins to push those people away as is his natural course and reject any opportunities for a better future. But uh, through therapy and friendship and love and all of these things, uh, Young I would say a, a, a healthy a healthy dose of coincidence that all falls in his favor is what I would probably say his main skill is in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Young Will Hunting, a mathematical genius and genius in general, um, begins to uh, break down his walls, um, accept the uncertainty of a future that is a little more glamorous than the dregs of South Boston, which is what everyone around him wants for him uh, and uh, uh, grows to a point where even though he breaks up with his girlfriend by the end of the film he is looking to a new career he is looking to reignite with his uh, uh, reunite with his his former girlfriend who he had fallen in love with and Robin Williams also through these therapy sessions, has come to get over the death of his his wife and is willing to put himself back out there. Um, this is a movie that is somewhat heavy on uh, sort of, especially in the second half, I feel like emotional tone, and it's not necessarily plot heavy um, in certain ways. So yeah, it, this it's is sort not of, the it, most in-depth yeah, it's yeah. not a particularly deep thing. They handle the emotional arc about the same way that, um, you know, J.J. Uh, Abrams handles plot points. It's There's a whole lot of things that occur that seem really dramatic, and they're dramatic scenes. But when you really break them down, the context is usually that Will Hunting is doing something that doesn't make sense, and the people around him are doing something that doesn't make sense. But it keeps working out in his favor, 
and they keep doing slow motion like they keep doing intense music and have emotional truths that are revealed but not particularly anything connected with like reality or how someone would actually act in those moments sure i had some issues so, with so this. yeah <laughs> I, I, I think I know okay. how Bora feels uh, about this clearly. Movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I but you yes, know. in terms of in terms of breaking down the plot, that's that's I know it seemed like my summary became somewhat rambling at the end, and I usually don't write these out ahead of time, but I'm not entirely sure how to describe the latter half of this movie in terms of plot points because it's mostly scenes of a man breaking down his walls, I guess, and coming to understand his potential, which is not really something you can describe in plot terms a lot of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, you you yeah. could you could rope in the subplots with Stellan Skarsgård and, and and Robin Williams because like Stellan Skarsgård like wants him to be a part of it and then they have they have a shared history that that goes back to when they were at Harvard or, or MIT or some shit. Um so it they're but sure. you're right. There's not failure much. But those are still and emotional growth yeah, versus those, emotional. All of that. All of yeah. that is just basically expository information, just to thrust the emotion of whatever scene is happening. Um, it's not really relevant to the plot per se. I think you're absolutely right. It's this movie's plot is actually pretty simple. It's it's hey, look, because I'd never seen this movie before. Here's what I knew yeah. about this movie. Here's what I knew. I knew that Matt Damon was a math genius, but he was a janitor and underappreciated. And for some reason, he had to go to therapy. And that's pretty much uh, what happened. That that pretty yeah. much is the movie. Um, and, and truthfully, the math genius part is only in there for a few scenes where they can like show off how smart he is. But it's not really important to the emotional it, flow of the movie. And, and it also um, changes a regularly. Lot of soliloquies that sort of do that too. It's also his specific genius changes based off whatever makes most easiest sense in the plot. So, for yeah, instance, when he very, goes on a date yeah. with Minnie Driver's character, she says, "I can't go on a date because I'm doing my chemistry homework." He goes out to the park and somehow miraculously does her chemistry homework and then comes back in and hands it to her. And it's like, there was nothing up to this point to introduce that he's really good at chemistry. We know he's good at math, but not chemistry. That's not the only example. Uh, yeah. yeah. Earlier, there's a scene in a bar where he has an extremely deep understanding of pre-colonial history, um, which, again... That's very little to do, generally speaking, with mathematics. True. And then there's a weird subplot where he like when he's trying to find another job or whatever, where he interviews with the NSA or some shit. And then it goes on right. to this very long soliloquy of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck on their liberal soapbox. Um, you know, and and it the I will say, like I it Gus Van Sant seems more restrained uh than usual. Uh that you know, because but I mean, he's been making we have movies a special for, guest for star, years. of course, for this episode. Right? Yes. Yeah, we do have a guest uh, there was, star. If you heard singing in the last couple minutes, it's because Pixel started barking, and then Wolfbait decided to add to the chorus. So to solve that problem, ah. I'm now petting Wolfbait. But there um, you go. How did you feel uh, about this one as a Gus Van Sant movie, though? Did it really seem like his other movies well, at all? I don't all? know. Not really. I mean, you think of like To Die For, it's kind of similar to that. I mean, when Gus Van Sant, this is, I think, why I think Gus Van Sant, even though he's not particularly to my taste, he is a competent director because he does know how to manage up uh, as far as dealing with studios and stuff, you know, because like he can work with a studio because this movie is very sleek. I mean, once once Weinstein got involved, it was pretty much fast tracked. And that means, yeah, Weinstein was pretty much involved in the whole process. Um, and you know, I think that Gus Van Sant knows how to kind of manage up, and 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 I, I get why Damon and Affleck wanted a guy like Gus Van Sant because he is good at getting gritty tones. You know, I'm thinking of like Drugstore Cowboy, those kind of movies, yeah. where he is good at getting that kind of authentic South I would Boston say that, that's or kind wherever of his best, he's shooting. That's kind of his best movie. I agree with you. Like his earlier stuff is better. Um, oh, I, one, I mean, I it felt like I would go so far as to say this is a fake art movie. Is what it feels like to me, because it it had like you have Weinstein, and then they he has a history of doing this. Like he would buy things cheap and then resell them and market them in a certain way. So he bought, for example, um, uh, Shakespeare in Love. That mm -hmm. one was like a hand me down from another company, and then they didn't know how to market it. He marketed it as like an underdog, Oscar contender, and then it became that. In this case, 
I think that he was marketing Kevin Smith being an independent film director and kind of being in the know with a bunch of these guys and sort of going off that to well, sort I mean, of the producer... like sprinkle other things in to make it seem as though this was an art piece. Like they even had like Harmony Corinne like doing a cameo part in this, which I think <laughs> is the only part that seems like a Gus Van Sant movie. Well, and the pr- music was certainly pretentious, so that's why yeah. I, you know, and I didn't think it was all that early, even though I love Elliot Smith. I'm a big Elliot Smith fan. I just thought it wasn't really, I don't know, it just felt, it felt like it insisted on itself. Um, but I think you're right about Van Sant because, like, um, you know, I like I said, he's never particularly been to my taste, especially when he's unrestrained. That's usually when I'm kind of cringing at watching any Gus Van Sant film. I'm looking at you, Elephant. Um, but that's why I think that, I, I think that this movie, as I understand it, you know, everybody in Hollywood was looking to buy this script from Affleck and Damon. Everybody was looking for it. So it originally got sold to, I think, Rob Reiner uh, at his production company at Castle Rock. So when he, but nobody wanted them to star in it because Matt Damon at the point wasn't really a leading man. Neither was Ben Affleck to they studios. Studios are rarely going to give an unknown a leading role. Everybody in Hollywood wanted Leo and Brad. That's who everyone in Hollywood wanted. It wasn't until, uh, and, and and even Kevin Smith even jokes about it, and Ben Affleck even jokes about it, that he gets executive producer credit for basically handing the script to Weinstein. Um, that's that, that's that's Kevin Smith's story. Um, and, and there's apparently, while it was under the control of Rob Reiner, there's been a long rumor that William Goldman actually ghost wrote this and, and doctored it up for them. Good, Goldman has emphatically denied it. Um, emphatically denied it he was a big fan of this script he said i wish i did but i didn't um and and i kind of don't even understand where they would get that because that goldman's dialogue tends to shine on through and this dialogue did not um you know it, i the this is you my mean problem you mean that movie. goldman wouldn't have I, written a delightful scene in which the back and forth involves someone repeatedly saying putting from the rough you don't think that would be the sort of yeah. art that he would put into his dialogue there, there's a lot of jokes and lines in here that do not age well, and and yeah. and you could even you can still lay it at the feet of Rob Williams too, because and Williams, I, I, you know, his yeah. his type of humor was that kind of thing, and he was a wild man, and he would improv all the time. So, but it's just and I it's think that I think that if you compared this to an average movie from '97, would it age better or worse? Probably, Probably about, about the same. same. Probably yeah. about the same. Yeah. yeah. It's just funny that it's you know it's you know like 20 plus years and how much that's changed. It's just an interesting commentary. But my real problem with this fucking movie is despite Goldman loving the script and he knows more about screenwriting than I ever will, but it does feel like two different movies. You know, like the movie only really gets interesting as soon as Robin Williams shows up. Um, I, I, I wasn't really charmed by Matt Damon and the boys. You know, I, their antics didn't really, I didn't really find it all that charming or fun. I didn't you mean find the magical, all that humorous. The magical math um, vigilantes didn't uh, thrill you. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I mean, I, uh, that part, I, you know, I, it's, it, it, it I immediately thought like, is this, this going to be like Rocky, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, he's it, the math version of Rocky. Right. But I don't even know how you'd have like a, a mathalon in Harvard at the end of it to even matter. And mini drivers, the Talia Shire character. But I think that um, it, I, I really think that this movie would have been served better if it just focused on the sessions between Williams and Damon and not go so much into the subplots of Mini Driver, Ben Affleck and what have you. Because I mean, they desperately needed about therapy, right? It is. But they desperately needed something to make it a romance, especially for that age group. They had to do a coming of age story where he'd meet a lady. I I hear you. Yeah. Um, And and again, once once Weinstein got involved, this was fast tracked and Oscar time because Weinstein was infamous about making movies to kind of bully his way into award ceremony. And that's how they'd become successful. Um, he was kind of infamous about that among other things, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, um, so I think that had the movie just been the, the sort of character relationship between Williams and Damon and had that been more of the focus of the movie, I didn't even mind the, the Stellan Sarsgaard, Robin Williams subplot that that's fine with me. I, I felt Williams should have been more of the main character instead of Will Hunting just because I, didn't like what I you get wanted it. I get what why you, you wanted was awakenings it, yeah no thank you yes yes yeah. yes indeed um that's uh, very funny that you mentioned that because after we watched sarah and i watched this movie then after that i i don't know why but i had this hankering to watch taxi driver and i'm just saying had travis bickle met robin williams uh in the 70s and maybe none of that would have happened um <laughs> he just needed to work through just somebody to tell him it's not his fault and and maybe bickle maybe oh. bickle would have lived 
if um, if we could take a slight dip into the melodrama of this film, there is a whole lot of stuff. Like I I have a variety of issues, but like let me let me let me break it down like this. How well did the romance work for you two guys? Like how believable was that? Sorry. Uh, varying depending varying. on scene. I like, guess I guess um, the- it seemed a little quick by the end and also uh, I don't know how long they. It doesn't seem like they had known each other super long by the time he was screaming at her and punching yeah. the wall next to her, which is pretty fucking intense. Like that's that's when you talk about things aging poorly. Like that's not. Yeah, mm, it's a little. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, when I was watching this with Shannon, there were a few things that she brought up that were like, "Oh, this is not." This is this is this is not great. It was that scene. And also in their first meeting, even though he's being provoked when Robin Williams grabs him by the throat, which is probably not something you should do to a traumatized uh, 20 year old kid. Yeah. Who's your patient as a psychiatrist? Like no matter how much he prods you, you probably need to keep a level of. Right. Unless yeah. he's I mean, physically attacking it's, you. It's significantly yeah, like I mean, breaking that, a variety of the uh, the normal ways in which you would want to interact. I don't know if they were trying to sell I, it off as like it's like two it's boys from the Boston. Point. Yeah. I don't know if they were trying to is. say it's like dudes from point. Boston. It's supposed but... to be like, uh, this is how these guys communicate through <laughs> physical altercation or whatever. Well, they're not they, scared to show that they're willing to get rough. Did you guys uh, catch the Peckinpah tribute at the gym fight at the basketball court when Will Hunting gets arrested? When the fight happens between him and some other guy who beat him up in kindergarten or whatever, because that's totally normal. But like <laughs> it, it, there's a cut. They punch. They do the slow motion falling down thing. I was like, ah, fucking Peckinpah. I'll be yep. damned. Um, so but, uh, yeah, but- I don't know. As far as the romance, did I feel it was authentic? I mean, I guess I, I felt that. But as far as I mean, uh, I have Will's explosion at her in the penultimate scene with her, um, like, like that's the she, stuff that I, 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 gets I me. Because it's like, why is that violence I, is very I, quick I know, in a relationship? But then even like in movies, there's usually like off-screen movie time, right? And this is the idea that like you're not seeing the characters all the time. Like you can see two people start to fall in love, and then when you cut back, and it's like later, you assume that a whole relationship has occurred and stuff like that. But they're very emphatic in this movie about, like, it's the first date, it's the second date, it's the third date, and it's, like, such a short period of time. So in the movie, the reality is, is he he meets her, he uh, rambles a bunch of facts. I actually wrote this down because it, like, blew my mind that this was the organization of it. He rambles facts, like a sort of like a savant at the guy at the bar, threatens the guy with physical violence, goes and sits at the other side of the bar all night, never talks to her again. That's enough of an entree to a relationship. She goes over, gives him his number, says, I want to talk to you again. He says something else weird. Like he says that thing about caramels that don't make any sense. And she's like, you're weird. That's and then she leaves. Line, yeah. yeah. It's not a great But line. then like when he calls her, the first time he calls her, he's just assaulted a man in a park and he's calling her from jail as his yeah, one that's, phone that's call. That's insane. And that leads to another date. And then in like a course of like two or three dates, they're at the point where she's going, I love you. And he's going, I don't love you. And they just keep saying that back and forth. And we're supposed to be like, oh, no, but they're supposed to love each other. And I'm like, how much are they supposed to love each other? Because it feels like you're telling me they're supposed to to love each other. I mean, Rob, I think we're probably supposed to like in part accept the speed of the relationship because of. Robin Williams story about his wife, which is literally a love at first sight story. Like he loved her within 20 minutes of meeting her, apparently in that story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. just ignoring a baseball. No way. No, like a, a, a world a series game. game. Yeah, yeah. No fucking way. Sorry. Don't. I, I, I mean, I, it was a nice moment. And it's a fun line and it's, it's adorable, but like, I know. Also another thing that I don't believe, uh, there's no way some Ivy league brat doesn't just take credit. Oh, I solved it. That was me. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. That, that was totally me. There's, there's a strong relationship between, um, Chucky, uh, Ben Affleck's character and will, um, that pays off later in the movie in a kind of, I don't know. It's it. So there's a scene in the movie where Ben Affleck it's towards the end where, you know, 
Matt Damon's basically saying, I'd rather be throwing bricks off of buildings for the rest of my life. I'd, I'd rather be doing construction for the rest of my life. And Ben Affleck says, you're a fucking moron. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. And, and then goes on this very strange story about, I, my, I hope one day the 10 minutes I come to pick you up and yet you're not there, which is only said just to set up the crystallizing image sure. at the end with it. Yeah. Even though, I mean, they yeah, already point. know he accepted another <clears throat> job. And so. point, point to Carlson for using a screenwriting term of a crystallized image as there your you final go. image in the script there you have so it. that we can all there understand. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Craig Volk. <sighs> uh, yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, and it, it's it, it's it's also kind of funny too because you know a lot was said about the screenplay of this movie, and I think it's more about the myth of the screenplay than the actual screenplay itself. It kind of reminds me of Rocky again in that way. You know how Sly was pitching Rocky all over town, and nobody wanted to buy it be, unless he. Everybody wanted to buy it, but they didn't want him to star in it. So I think it's that kind of myth that people found more romantic than I think the actual script think- itself. I think the thing about the screenplay is that it makes considerably... I think it makes an emotional sense to people, and it doesn't make... The logical sense is pretty thin. Um, Yeah. Like that scene you just talked about where he was like, the best part of my day is like the 10 seconds when I walk up to your door and I hope you're not there. Like, even if if this is that guy's best friend, realistically he may want him to succeed. I'm sure the way you want that to happen is not, Hey, I'm going to fucking ghost you, bud. Yeah. We've hung out for every day <laughs> yeah. for our entire life. And I'm not yeah. going to fucking tell you that I'm moving to California. Yeah. Yeah. I Point mean, the Irish, the, the Irish goodbye. Yeah. Uh, well, let me, let me just what say, what he wants two to things. do is get fucking really oh, drunk with his God. friend one last time the night before he moves away. Like, really, that's what that guy wants to do. Yeah. Well, let me, I'll just throw it out there, because I'll, I'll give it to you guys that maybe I should just let go of the things that don't make sense, because it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a Star Wars. Like, it doesn't make sense. You just got to go with the emotion and get Somehow, there. Somehow, Palpatine returned. Yeah. Right. So, right. yeah. Well, I mean, here's like a key issue that I see, because I remember back in the day, and I'll just say it one time so I can get it out there so my brain will stop bugging me with this. There was an email chain that people kept forwarding back in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's that thing where your aunt or your uncle would send you the stupid, like, don't, you got to send this to five more people or you're not going to have a great day. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the conceit of this movie. It was that thing where it was like the thing where the janitor, there's a super hard problem that's written on the wall and then the janitor comes by and he's just a whiz with it and they go on like a flipping crazy time trying to find him and it's like oh man we got to find which genius this slipper fits who's the genius come on down and then they find it and it's like okay here's the genius and it was the big ballyhoo and oh he went on to scholarship that was the story here's the problem so stellan skarsgård is announcing a really difficult theorem in front of a group of people we assume are math students who are there to study whatever this MacGuffin of a degree esoteric math he has written on the wall. That's a real math theorem you can look up. I don't remember the name of it, but you can look it up. But the thing is, with math proofs and theorems, you gotta show your work, right? So if they solve this riddle, this theorem, that's in a book somewhere. Someone could look up how it was done and they can see that person's work. You're announcing this to a group of students who are studying this bullshit esoteric stuff and you were assuming that when you come back and find it solved on the board the next day, they did it out of their head. They didn't just look it up in a book and write it on the wall. And then his follow-up to find out if it was really like this is posting another one on the wall thinking that somehow this is gonna really prove it this time. And when you look at the room the first time, there's like just a couple fucking people in this math class. And you're like, oh, okay, it's a math class. This is normal. When they come back, it's like he's announcing a fucking, like, NBA draft pick. They're people ah. of the fucking walls. And they're all like, who? Who's this hot button mathematician? Who's the mathematician who's going to solve all the problems? It's like, who gives a shit about this math? Sorry, go ahead. 
So I'm Borf, oh, I am gonna give you a point, sir, because clearly yeah, I broke your brain. Uh, because uh, that is the most yeah, I'll, animated I'll you, I'll give, and I'll enraged. Give, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a point for, for going insane too. Let's uh, give you yeah, a point. Yeah. Chris, you're racking him up this episode. Uh, I just had to get real angry. But but yes, this is movie math. This is not real math. This is movie ass math. Um, yeah. One of the things about movie math, and it holds true in this, is that it's only math if you write it on glass. You can write it on a mirror. You can write it on a window. But you have to write it on glass or it is not math. That is how movie math works. You get a point of the time. You get a, you get a point from me. Oh, no boy. one's pointed that out, but it's absolutely true. With them. Well, it's just that boy, that exact thing you just said was what drove me crazy with a beautiful mind. Other than the fact that it like it wasn't based off the actual story and kind of glommed over the guy's bisexuality and everything that made the character interesting. But that's a separate movie we can talk about someday. Uh, how do you guys hmm. feel about the title? Yeah, I- Oh well, oh, yeah. I, this I, was I, another I uh, thing you. Yeah. We can we can we can, I, I, we, we can come back if you want. No no no, I think the title I, is. Oh no uh, no, I, makes my, sense my answer about. is I don't love it. <laughs> you know I'm not nuts about it. What what I, is I, it? My pitch yeah. was calling it questions. Well, here's it's, the thing. It's Tell me, how does it impact on it you? What do you like think about it? It feels like it should be a pun, but I'm not sure what the pun is. Yeah, uh, like goodwill. I understand goodwill. That's a term. Um, hunting uh, for goodwill. Will hunting is the name of the character. Uh, um, hunting for goodwill uh, is it really a phrase? It's not a saying. It's not a turn of it's phrase. It's not a saying. Right? Doesn't make sense. Like they're searching for the goodwill. Uh, uh, I don't it's, quite. They are. Get it. It is it is finding the good in will hunting. That is yes. the point of the title. I mean, I, like I said, when it when it's a math problem in and of itself, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, you probably could have thought of. I mean, it's it's catchy at least, so I, I get why you just sort of it like sounds it's good. stuck. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, I, just, I, I get why it sticks. I, I just want to share that before I even started watching the movie, I filled up a page of my notes with reasons I had issues with this title. And it involved mostly figuring out the core thing, because I this title has always bothered me to a degree, and I want to be clear about why it bothers me. Because it's, it's one thing to just say I don't like it, but I have a specific reason I don't like this title. E. Punimus Titles. It is a title that is uncomfortable. It's, e. Punimus is from TV Tropes. The idea is it's when a work's title is a pun on the main character's name. The question is, I don't know if this title's a pun or not. Um, because goodwill is obviously a phrase. Um, goodwill to men and all that shit. Um, but it reminds me almost of Meet Joe Black, which I think is not a pun on anything as far as I'm aware. Um, I think, I it's, think just it's literally just Meet Joe's name. Joe yeah. Black. Yeah. Yeah. And so it feels like it's got a foot in both those worlds, where it's either just... This is Will Hunting. He's going to be good. And also, Goodwill Hunting. Like, I don't know which one it is. They well, are just, hunting for the good in Will. It just seems like with a title like this, it's like, it's a clever, it's a clever title. It's not a good title. It's the sort of it's title not, that though, someone goes. It doesn't goes, really make sense. It I does know. not really make it sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not really clever. It's a title that they tell you is clever right. and that it's not clever. It's upsetting to me for that reason, for the exact it, it, reason you just said. It does. It does sound like the many titles that I came up with in film school. Um, so I, I, because, you know. You always try to be too clever by half, you know, like, and, and I think that, yeah, sure. This title is probably a little too clever, but Granted, it's, but that's, but that's, that's manifested in the screenplay as well. I mean, like this, Granted, this I, movie I discovered... is a lot more, this movie is really more into its own cleverness than is probably warranted. I, and I, I don't have the exact title in front of me, but granted, I discovered last night that Ben Affleck's first short film is called I married a lesbian and then murdered her, and now I have a multi-picture deal at Disney? Or something like that? That is the name of Ben Affleck's first short film that he ever made. Wow. wow. 
That's a that's okay, a lot of well, things happening. I, mean, I, I so, thought that was I mean, the lead up to a bit. I thought you were fucking with us. Yeah, that's, I thought no, so that's too. actually no, what you're no, saying. Not a joke. One hundred percent true. That is the first I, short film. Yeah, I, I thought it was just a riff on Chasing Amy. Um, but yeah, fucking a. Uh, so I guess he got better in, yeah. in, in the title department. Um, and that's why it's it's kind of strange because I think that you know this the the story that I read about uh, the 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 impetus of this screenplay with Matt Damon was when he was in Harvard. And I think he originally meant for this to be a play, and I think it was just the Sean McGuire, Will sense. Hunter, and that, and that does make sense. And I would actually be more compelling and wouldn't piss Boroff off so much with the fucking melodrama because on theater melodramas more or less, you know, acceptable. It's it's, and it's not hilarious. As, come off as it's hilarious that you tell me now that it's a play because there was a scene in this that bothered me so much, and I think it's because it was a play. There's a scene in which they're playing basketball and they get it to the point where they're going to run up to each other. It's no a baseball. It's the baseball scene. The guy throws the baseball. He's like, "Oh, you hit me on the arm!" And then they throw down the mitt and they run across to start, uh, like you know, being two bros, grabbing and you each see other. The stage lights coming down at that point. Yeah, yeah, it was that sort of thing where you're like, "Well, what happens after that scene? You've just run up to your friend and acted like a weirdo, and you're both going to be standing out there hugging in the middle of a dugout with people staring at you. That's a little strange." Yeah. There's also, I mean, that's. To, to a degree, I guess that's true of every movie. Like, I did think, like, in the uh, It's Not Your Fault scene, like, they cut it off when they were hugging, and I'm like, there's a there's a minute after this where, like, he unhugs him, and he's like, yeah, that was good. And it's like, okay, you didn't show, you didn't show that part where they have to stop hugging and, like, leave. Right. Yeah, and that's but, why um, I... Yeah, it, it, so those scenes, and that's, it, that's you know... But that's every movie to a degree. Yeah, but, that's know. true, too. And I also... So, like, then they, they kind of added a bunch of Will's backstory with the family and stuff, and that's why, you know, this movie really is just more or less a movie about therapy. Um, it is, and I know, think that's the strongest part of it. One of the, the things... Yeah, I agree, and I actually think that's why I, I could kind of gleam over... The, the subplots, I think, probably too long subplots of Mini Driver, Ben Affleck, what have you, because it's informing, you know, his character that is traumatized. And, I mean, trauma manifests itself in everybody differently. And for this kid, it is just that uh, uh, he's hermetically sealed off with anything that doesn't make him comfortable or, or unsafe. Sure. And he will lash out violently if even put to a corner. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, that I, I... all of that stuff could have been conveyed in the therapy scenes is all i'm saying i i i, I want to express something like uh so so far and i think there's plenty of reasons like this is some this is a late 90s oscar bait kind of feeling movie i think that's undeniable um there's weird choices sometimes uh my girlfriend shannon she had a weird issue she had issues with danny elfman's score she felt like it sounded too whimsical and that, mm -hmm. I fantastical agree. yeah um I, I, like in the opening credits you're like well this is a 90s oscar movie you're like yeah. well this this is a, even the music and then i saw Especially danny elfman considering I'm like, oh, in, in contrast with i think elliot smith's songs which are great i think they work they great. are they are, and and it's um, most of the movie too. There, that Elliot Smith soundtrack is more of the movie than I think Danny Elfman's score. Yeah, those are great, um, uh, and and things like that. There's 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 these issues we've already talked about, um, but I do think there are also a fair few things to recommend about this movie. And our first, what we've talked about so far, has been largely negative. Like the performances are you are generally pretty fucking very good. good. Very mm -hmm. good. Um, there's some there's some dialogue in the script that is quite, you know, there's a reason this is ubiquitous. Like people remember some of this dialogue all these years later. Another thing I don't like some of Gus Van Zant's editing choices. Um, at the very beginning, he has this kaleidoscope effect during the opening credits, and it comes back only once in the movie when they're doing this shot of like either Sean or Will's abusive father coming up the stairs. And at first it's a normal shot of a man coming up the stairs, but then for one second, it's like that kaleidoscope effect comes back. Do you guys remember this? Kind of. Yeah. It, it's I, kind it's of. Yeah. I remember like, it being like, why is that here? It's only there. It's that one point. And it's like, I why? had a, why? I had a feeling it might've just been like to suggest a fractured memory of the time period or something, but uh, some odd art choices like that do happen a lot in the late 90s or early. Yeah, this would be late 90s. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, thankfully, and I, I didn't have any of like the really bad CGI that also would get edited in a lot. <laughs> That's sure. Good and, yeah. yeah. That, and, and yeah, I, I think you're kind of right, Zach, about it, the editing choices. I mean, one of the things that uh, I, I've noticed was lacking that you there's a lot of uh, Gus Van Sant tropes that I'm familiar with from his movies that aren't really present in this movie. Uh, and, and one of these is he likes long edits, you know, like he, he likes long following shots. Uh, backs of people's heads especially recently um and, and it, th these aren't really present i don't know how much that that's why i wanted to ask you guys how much of a shine was added as soon as weinstein fast tracked it and wanted to you know this to be oscar bait like how much because it does seem like a lot of the the tone and texture that i know from gus van Sant was sort of sheened off and sort of like polished up to to be more probably mainstream. some i think this is considered one of his more sort of accessible movies um I'm going to say straight up, I Gus Van Sant doesn't really do it for me, uh, for the most part. Not really. Yeah. yeah not, really my, uh, not really my favorite. Um, uh, I think this one's yeah. a little bit more accessible, a little bit more. I, I like you know, milk. Audience friendly. Milk was really good. And, and I, I think it's, it's safe to say with Gus Van Sant, if he's not writing it, it's probably okay. Um, like, cause milk was, I liked milk a lot. I like, you yeah, know, this movie good. was pretty good. Well, um, but, you know, uh, this one in some ways, this one might've just been a, um, dry run for when he did finding Forrester later. Cause I think that one has a little bit more of an arc to it. Did he direct finding Forrester? Yeah, he did. Um, this, yes, see did. what happened around this period. He did like 97 was goodwill hunting. 98 was the, uh, much derided psycho remake. Yep. Yeah. Vince uh, and then he part. did Finding Forrester, and then a couple years after that it was Elephant, and kind of the rest of them you already know. But like for a while there, like he's he's been openly gay for a long time, and for a while there he was really the go-to director for any sort of a uh, a bi or a trans story. Like My Own Private Idaho, you know, is all about that. Even Cowgirls Get the Blues was like a big one. These aren't movies that really play well now, Weird but at the time, movie. well, at the time is that now they kind of, or it's like, this is a weird movie. At the time, it was mind-blowing because it was the first time that a lot of these sure. movies were covering gay topics or I doing anything with gay topics. I, I think there's something to be said for, uh, I don't know, uh, the way we talk about art from the past, even art that is in a certain way very progressive or re revolutionary, um is often like very much in terms of like in 2021 that is in play but like at the same time at some point you have to meet it uh, i i think at, at the time it came out like you yeah. just fucking can't make black panther in 1920 like no full yeah. stop that ain't fucking happening no so i get like the little rascals is has stereotypical characters in it but at the time, it was fucking so revolutionary that a lot of theaters wouldn't play it because there were black kids playing with white kids. And it's like, at some point, you just got to figure out, like, that dividing line, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And that's why whenever we do these movies, I, I always do my my damnedest to try to put it into as much context as I can, especially in the time and place where it's at. And that's why I said I think a lot of the off color jokes, the gay bashing jokes in this wouldn't really it, it, it's very distasteful now but as zach said pick any movie <laughs> any movie yeah. from from well, that era or any ron williams stand-up like you well, will find stuff in there that's that's pretty not cool it's also a strange question to ask because gus van sant is so openly gay so the question is is what like what is the line there did they think that having him in that role made it so that oh, it was more enabled to use those terms because that's a question hmm. for me, because it uh, seems very strange. That's difficult to answer, because even then, like, you think about internalized shame. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a real thing. Like, internalized misogyny among women still exists. Yeah. Even, like, black people, like, uh, could have internalized, like, races. Like, that stuff yeah. is real. Like, that I mean, exists, full stop. It's also... It's also like, you know, it's a it's a wine scene movie. So he was, you know, at this around the same time, he was known for uh, all of the uh, Quentin Tarantino movies, which are openly using like the N word and things like that. So he he didn't really I wouldn't imagine him to be specifically woke on any particular issue because he's a terrible man. 
Yeah, but it was just he's an a unusual thing. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's an unusual it thing for the marketing and everything else on this movie. Right. It should also be said, speaking of Tarantino, Lawrence Bender is the producer of this movie. That is Tarantino's guy. He's the guy who did Pulp sure. Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. A brand, a band apart was was a production company on this, so they they did it. And I mean, obviously, they Weinstein had such deference to Bender and Tarantino because it's pretty much what made Miramax what Miramax was. Um, and so when they got this script, um, uh, when 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 it got into Weinstein, of course. Wine scene didn't like Mini Driver at all. I can't imagine why. That's uh, uh yeah. Um, uh, but if apparently, I, if I may say very briefly, one of the things that is interesting about this movie is the women in it are—they look like real women. They don't look like Hollywood women, almost pretty much top to bottom, which is very interesting. But go True. on, go ahead, Russell. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think that says, and, and it was Gus Van Sant and Affleck and Damon who pushed back at Weinstein. And Weinstein pretty much had to cow away, which is rare. But he was pretty much outnumbered, and he was already, like I said, fast tracking it. When a production company fast tracks something for Oscars, the boss is going to be there almost every day. So you know that Weinstein was involved with this production because it's it. He was going to make this movie, you know, compete with Titanic, imagining the the egos that would have been involved on this is a little scary. To at this point, drill. I mean, and then, but I mean, Damon and Affleck at that point were kind of new kids, right? So they didn't yeah. have much cachet. This I was, think, to throw in many around. ways, their breakout as that's, serious actors. That's that's right. true. The, but they were also imagine those dudes in their twenties, max ego. I'm just saying, like, I'm sure, sure that they're super oh, yeah, talented. No, no. I, mean, I don't they, think I heard anything bad, but it's just you got to imagine that, like, between oh. them and like Weinstein and all the other big name people who were involved, it was probably like a razor's edge on just like oh, we're going to do mean, this as safely as we can. No, I, I, no question, because again, they wanted to star in it. That that was their whole thing. Um, so I, you're you're right there. Um, but you know, and, and even because part of the reason why Weinstein didn't even want to do it, have Damon play Will Hunting, is because Damon really wasn't a leading man. It wasn't until Coppola casted him in The Rainmaker uh, that that they thought, okay, and then they signed on Williams, and then they knew, okay, we can fast track this bitch. Um, so like. I think it's interesting that it's Coppola who introduced the script to Robin Williams, apparently. Um, but yeah, they just Coppola took a chance on Matt Damon, who like everybody wanted Leo, right? But Leo wasn't always available. There's only one Leonardo DiCaprio, so you get the B squad of Matt and Brad, Matt and Ben uh, to the A squad. Of and again, Leo they also wrote the script, so sure. I mean. Yeah, they're they're very close to it, and that's like you know. It, because it reminded me of a, a little bit, it, this was a much better film, but blind spotting a little bit, you know, where you kind of have sure. these two guys who are close to it and they wanted to star in it and you have to have a director that they trust. And yeah. to their and, credit, and I, I think agree. Gus Van I, I agree. I think that's a better script. And, and, and I actually think maybe those are better performers. Um, uh, but uh, I think the, the standout thing, the standout performance in this film to me is pretty clearly Robin Williams like uh question even though his Boston accent is a little inconsistent uh <laughs> everything else about his performance is quite solid yeah and and a pair I, I love the the last line in the movie is when Will gives him a little note and saying I'm going after a girl whatever and he says son of a bitch stole my line that was all Williams Williams improved a lot like he he would kind of the scene where he's talking about his wife farting and they're just in control, be laughing. That's just because Williams is just riffing. I mean, Williams, I can't remember what director did this with Williams, but they always managed to, the way to work with Robin Williams is you tell him, just do one take to the script. Let's just stick to the script. Just give me one. And then we can do whatever the fuck you want. Because Williams, you know, was was manic. He I was mean, an he improv was comedian. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it's what he's fucking good at. And I, I agree with you, Zach. I mean, it, it is a stand-up performance from him in this. I mean, it really... For a guy who, like you said, that scene where he's choking him, I think if played differently, wouldn't have had the resonance and the sort of the, the thrust of the movie with his own stakes. I don't think it would have worked. You know, they, they, they read it. Uh, they originally, when they wrote the script, they were thinking of Robert De Niro or Morgan Freeman. I don't know if that would have worked as well. I mean, they're both. I, mean, that seems I just like, don't think it would have worked. Yeah, that seems like it would be an actual threat at that point. Like Robin yeah, Williams, yeah, because, are like eh, that doesn't really mean it. He's soft enough yeah. that I think you can accept him in a role See, where he yeah, might I be think, flawed, but he means well. Twofold. Like with Robert De Niro, it'd be too threatening, and with Morgan Freeman, I almost wouldn't buy it. Yeah. 
I'd almost, yeah, you'd be put to sleep almost. But I think that Williams, I think it's part of his physicality. He has kind of got this boyish, puckish-like charm, you know, that I think is is crucial to Matt Damon's character, them kind of mirroring each other in some respect. So he I, does I at one point say that like he has, he's like a he's hairless or something, and it's like no. No, Robin. Oh, uh-uh, no. You're, no. you're, you're not. You're, 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 you're the, the hairiest motherfucker since Sean Connery. H- hairiest guy I know. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, let me, fellas? I think I could, I'm gonna... Oh, we, my, okay. my thing just warned me that we have about ten minutes left, so I can either stop the meeting, start it again, we keep recording, and get through it. Uh, I think we can do that Well, ten minutes, I can do this, let me, let me, yeah, I think we could do this, because I just wanted to okay. ask you guys one question, I think I'll get the, I think I've already probably got the answer. Uh, is this movie overrated? Yes, probably a little, uh, but it is it is this is 90s Oscar bait movie like that's what it is. Like if you're nostalgic for this period of time, and this type of movie, this is about what it is. Um, I think it's effective in parts um, and some parts don't hold up as well. But yeah, if, if this is what you like, I, I get I get why this is. Oh, and I, I get why everybody liked it too. I mean, it's a fine movie. I mean, I didn't yeah, walk it's away. Easy. I, I, it's an e- I, it's easy to watch and it's easy to feel yeah, for like at points. Like sure. It's not and, really challenging. Right. And 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 it's also, you know, it's it's a very human story, which is fun for me. I mean, yeah. I, I, I didn't walk away with my vein popping out of my head like Borif did. Um and I knowing Borif, I fucking know why. I, I should have known actually while I was watching like Borif's gonna fucking lose it in this fucking movie um yeah and and so yeah i just it it it, is it overrated yeah but uh, i actually i liked it you know for what it was i thought it it was fine yeah i I didn't hate yeah it's fine yeah it it was a fine movie do i think that yeah i mean i can complain about the subplots going on too long or even not even being necessary but it is a lot like what roger ebert told gene siskel about taxi driver that you know Gene Siskel really hated the violent shootout thing at the end. If they just didn't have that, it would it would be a fine movie. And Ebert's responsible. Well, then it wouldn't be the fucking same movie. Then would it? <laughs> it would be a completely different movie. Um, mm-hmm. So in that respect, I guess you know I I kind of like. So I was. It's fine. It's a should fine movie. Should we do a quick yeah. round of final thoughts? And final then, thoughts. Uh, you bet. Announce our next week. You bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Borif, why don't Let you go me, ahead and yeah. okay. Borif, why don't you go ahead because I'm sure you're gonna need some time. I don't need too much time. I think what I will say with this is that I haven't seen the movie since it first came out. So returning to it again, I remembered watching it when I was like 18 or 19 when this movie first occurred. And at the time thinking it was okay, I didn't think it was great. I didn't understand why everyone was losing their mind over it. Uh, That happens again and again with other films that become a zeitgeist during the time period for whatever reason. In this case, it was mostly marketing, but also the extreme uh, charisma of both the leads and a bunch of the people involved. So it doesn't surprise me it was a big hit. Returning to it, realizing that there were some real obvious like concept issues involving the conceit of the whole film that gets the ball going and gets the MacGuffin going didn't work for me well enough this time. Um, I accepted it, it more really when I was younger. Off. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it might have worked in a time period that was like pre-internet where finding information was hard, but only Fair enough. hard on this topic if you were out in the sticks like I was. Like, I wouldn't have been able to look up this math, but I'm sure people in that university would have. Secondary thing. I've also read that the actual yeah. math problem is not actually that hard. It'd be hard for yeah. us, but for people who are like mathematics majors, it'd be mm-hmm. fine. The original concept is that they was he was supposed to be like a physics wonderkind, and he talked to a physics guy, and he said that no way, no, no, come on. You, well, you know, he seemed to it, be brilliant and everything. Yeah, so. that's true. That, yeah. that is well, true. They, you they, know, they yeah. mentioned chaos math at one point, and I was just assuming that we're talking red witch style chaos magic, chaos math. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> Yeah, it was fine. Like it, it, it was exactly what I expected. The, the, you know, I had already known the how do you like them apples, and I didn't even care about that scene. I don't know why everybody loved it so much. Um, and and I, I it's hard to like Will Hunting for most of this movie because he's an arrogant prick. Um, and the way it kind of transforms uh, with the relationship between Sean and Will, you start to understand him, and a lot of things kind of get put together. 
but as Zach said, it is mostly just emotional tones. It's melodrama. I mean, it's just the, yeah. you're you're performing whole scenes just to get to an emotional beat. Um, and even if the beat doesn't really even really serve the story, because as we said, like the math thing just sort of becomes like a it, who cares. Um, but, you know, uh, wonderful performance by Robin Williams. I thought Matt Damon actually did pretty good, too. Um, and Ben Affleck. I thought they were fine. Um, you know, Ben Affleck sort of had an easier job, I think, than, than sure. most of us. Um, but again, I, I maybe it's just because I know it's him and I just didn't find like there's a scene where uh, he's supposed to interview for a job and Will sends uh, Chucky Ben Affleck in his stead as his proxy. And that went on way too long because they thought it was a lot funnier than it than it actually was. So, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It, 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 if you haven't seen this movie, would I recommend it? Yeah, I guess. You know, if you're if you like Robin Williams, if you really want to see him do his thing, like it's worth it for that. And it's you know, and if you've if you've ever been to therapy, it does kind of get to the meat of why you go to therapy to begin with. It is these moments of catharsis, you know, and 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 it's 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 nice in that respect. But uh, that's about. It. Yeah, I think this movie has a certain trick that it plays uh, at certain points. I think I think as a film, as a piece of fiction that you absorb for two hours and then, you know, don't have to think about too much works. That's why it's an Oscar pick. That's why, you know, often that's how those go. Um, but uh, early in the film, like there is a point where uh, a braggadocious uh, guy uh Harvard guy is like lecturing Ben Affleck slash Matt Damon on pre-colonial like uh, 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 economies and stuff like that. Um, and then Matt Damon comes back and he knows even more. But actually, the thing he knows even more is still the same shit. It's still him regurgitating what he talked about before. And the movie kind of deals with that. They talk about regurgitation and dialectics. But the deepness is not as deep as it as it seems on the surface, but it feels good in the moment. Um, I think that describes this movie. That's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, feeling good in the moment is what a movie should do sometimes. But sure, that's what it is. Yeah, it's definitely, a nice comfort movie. It's you know definitely a safe movie to watch with family. It has almost no politics in it. It has almost nothing that will really challenge them. Everyone can sit there and go, "Oh, I'm glad he worked his problem out at the end." Uh, I would think that the Shawshank Redemption is a little more fun to watch with people, though, for that same reason. Yeah, I would say I think Shawshank. I, think it's a, I would agree yeah. as well. I would advise yeah, I would that one over Goodwill Hunting. Too. I, yes, I, can't I, agree is, that. I think that's a better film. Yeah. All right, Zach, before I get to your point, let's do a quick rundown of the points. Um, so, uh, Chris Boref, you now have one more bonus point to give out. I have one more bonus point to give out, and Zach has two bonus points to give out. The score right now for vinyl voting. You guys went Boref. fucking crazy on this you, uh, Yeah, we did. We rarely give out points in the first one. Um, so, Chris Boref, you have 12 points. I have 11 points, and Zach Powers, you have 12 points for final voting. Uh, so, Zach. What is next on Zeitgeist Ubiquitous Movies that everybody's seen? You have not. I had a a few movies that I considered. I thought back and forth on them. Wasn't sure. This one, that one. But the premise was Ubiquitous Movies. And ultimately, there were some that I wanted to watch more than this movie. That I've been meaning to watch more than this movie. But this is the movie that is the most ubiquitous that I have not yet seen, I think, in terms of the image of the ones I thought of. And it's Say Anything. I have never seen Say Anything, and I think that that image of that boombox-holding motherfucker... the Peter Gabriel song, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it's more ubiquitous than the other things that came to mind. I'm probably missing something bigger, but that is the biggest one that I thought of. Okay, it's actually been a minute since I've seen that movie. So, I, I, you know, uh, well, I, I think I made the when when my niece and nephew were a lot younger, I think I made them sit through it. Uh, but that'll be interesting. Uh, okay, I gotta we're gonna run real quick because we're gonna run out of time. So, uh, join us next time for say anything for my co-host Chris Boruff. Buy a condios. Uh, for my co-host Zach Powers. I'm also here. All right, I have been Russell Carlson. Thank you very much for joining and us. Remember join us next that, time. Uh... Yes, the movie trap promise. That Diane Ladd is too, too young, young to be Chevy to be Chase's, Chevy Chase's mom. mom. That's the movie. You heard it here. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Yeah, Lord.